Yo, yo, yo. Peace, my people. Good morning. Good morning. It is April 29th, 2020. Hump day. You know what I'm saying? We've hit that middle of the week. We're over the hill. We are now close to the weekend. Welcome to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. I am your host. I am your host with the most more buttery than morning toast. A D Q. Um. I don't know about you all, but see, I used to. I've been. I've been looking at this whole Corona pandemic crap. That has come upon all of society. Now we look at it in two forms. I look at it as you know, a it sucks that everything is closed down, but it's good that everything closed down, so that we can all sit down, just sit still, take it easy, right? Those are the two ways I would look at it. But now, I'm not like aching to get back to normal because. I'm hoping that when this thing is all over and when it's all said and done, there's a new normal. You know what I'm saying? It's like the world has been radically changed. And there is a complete, radical, brand new way that things operate. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some positives that have come out of this. People are helping each other more. Um, we are being funded governmentally. You know, stimulus checks. Though I haven't got mine yet. Yo, Trump, hurry up with my check. We have become more uh, reliant on self and reliant on people. We have become less selfish. Yeah, other... Yeah, other, others of us have been just falling to complete... Freak out mode. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But guess what? I'm going to let y'all in on a little 80, on a little 80Q fact. I don't own a car. I don't. I've never owned a car in my entire life. I've never adequately learned how to drive. And I've never... I've never... Oh, I've never adequately fully learned to drive. I mean, you put me behind the wheel, I know what to do, but, you know, my anxiety will be through the roof. But, I've also never owned a car. It's like, hey, it's easy. You just get in the car, you turn the, you turn the, you turn the gas, you turn the wheel, you keep it, and you go. Hmm, sounds easy. Looks easy. But... <clears throat> If you haven't done it on a continuous basis, on a consistent basis, it's not really all that easy. So I just never learned. And also, this is the reason why last night's uh, interview with Miss Tiffany Grant, shout out to her, was very necessary because I've been bad with money my entire adult life. Like, I know how to save money. I know... How to, I know how to budget money. It's just the act of actually doing it. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this with my money. I'm going to do that with my money. I'm going to do that with my money. But then, bill come. Then, um, I'm out. I'm out. And the bus don't come for another hour. I'm tired. I don't want to wait for it. I don't want to wait an hour for the bus. For the bus. I'm leaving now. And you know what? So I call, so I hit Liv. Be like, yo, Liv. Liv is there in like five, ten minutes. I'm home in like five, ten minutes. <sighs> so, all that to say, I'm pretty sick of this pandemic. I am. I'm not sick of the whole, you know, sit down, chill, whatever. But I'm just sick of everybody freaking out and then everything and. You know, I can't even say that I'm sick of it. I'm just at a level of discomfort because now this whole thing is messing with my money. You know what I'm saying? Now, 
Now, I have to figure out a way to get from point A to point B. I have to figure out a way to get to the store. I have to figure out a way to get to work. And I ain't sitting on and I ain't sitting on a overflow of money ready to um I ain't sitting on an overflow of money ready to um you know just hit up a lift or whatever. You know. But you know one thing that I know that I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna panic, I'm not gonna allow myself to fall into despair. You know why? Because this morning I woke up out of my bed in my place in my apartment and I just reflected on how this time last year this was not the case for me I was not in my bed in my room in my apartment I did not shower in my shower I did not um, walk through my kitchen in my drawers TMI no my bed I didn't but I sure enough was panicking and um, seeing this whole sob story last year, right? So, so, and also, yo, I just saw someone comment on a post that they saying Uber. Yeah, that's a real jackass way of uh, answering things. Not everybody has money for Uber. Not everybody has money for Uber. Like, yo, white liberals, please, don't give out any financial advice because you only know... You only know how to give financial advice from your perspective, your privileged perspective, your perspective of someone who benefits from white privilege that is a generational thing. You do not know anything about struggling. You do not know anything about a rough time. You don't know anything about wonder, about having to put all your faith and trust in God that your lights will be on. You'll have a roof over your head. You'll have food on your table. You don't know nothing about none of that. So don't give any financial advice because you'll only make an ass out of yourself. Like for real. Ain't nobody feeling ain't nobody feeling you right now. You go ahead and sit in your little hole and panic like you do. Alright? Us who have to us who have to us who have to fight and struggle and whatnot. We're going to be putting our trust and hope in the Lord, knowing that he's going to work everything out. Like he always does. Um, <clears throat> But what I was getting at, and you know, that's not a slight to white people and stuff. It's white liberals, man. White liberals. Malcolm talked junk about y'all. Martin talked junk about y'all. Some of y'all are my friends. But this is my point. You look at what what happened in your life and what worked for you, and you think that that is reality, and it's not. It's not reality. You are part of the one percent. You are part of the problem. You feel me? You're not part of the night. You're not part of the working class. You're not part of the ninety-nine percent who have to go out here and fight to get things. You're not the. You're not part of us who have to go out here and expose ourselves to whatever's out there in the air, which could be a possible fatality. No, or you're not even part of us who have to depend on public transportation. In order to get from point A to point B. It's pain, yo. Yo, that's my prayer, man. That I get my tra- that I get my driving situation together, man. Because it's a pain, man. Do you know how awkward... Do you know how awkward it is... When I highlight a new girl... Saying, yo, I got a job. Got my own spot. All this, you know. I got it going on. I'm fine. By the way, I don't have a car. It's crazy. 
And I'm sharing this on my podcast. I'm sharing this with you all because there's a silver lining here. Not only that, but I'm pretty sure a lot of my fellow artists can relate to this. You know what I'm saying? Not all of us depend on not on not all of us lean on God for all things, but I would say that would keep that that keep you from a lot of sleepless nights. I trust in God, man. You know what I'm saying? And I know that God's will be done at the end of this. Um, <clears throat> like I always say, I've been through too much. I've been through too much stuff in my 34 years on this earth to not trust God. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember being 11 years old, walking, being so frustrated with life that I was just like screaming, God, take me now, take me now, take me now. It's like God said, man, this fool tripping, man, whatever, man, I ain't doing that. And he didn't. And... Allow me to walk in my purpose. Allow me to walk in my purpose and do incredible things ever since. So, there's a scripture that is attached to this as I drink my water. A little bit of the bubbly. I go to scripture. And there's, you know, I look at Psalm, you know, it's like David wrote like the blueprint on how to depend on God during horrible, tough times. It's like, you got, you got your back against the wall. It's like, oh God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it says in Psalm 55 and 22, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Go up to verse 16. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. The Lord saved me from so many things in my life, man. Um, God is God who is enthroned from of, from of old, who does not change. He doesn't change. He will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. You know what I'm saying? You know, just cash your cares on the Lord, man. It's so hard to do, especially when you're a controller. I'm a controller. I love being control, being in control. God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I want to be the Alpha and Omega of all things that are related to how my life is going to be carried out. I want to be in control. I want to be, um, I want to be the Alpha and Omega. <clears throat> and let's go to, um, chapter, uh, chapter 57. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindic- who vindicate? Who vindicates me? That's verse two. Where else? What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. Uh, verse nine. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. So all this. Says to me, you know, uh, Psalm 56, verse 13. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. That I may walk before God in the the light of life. You know what I'm saying? Like. I choose to trust in God. I do because because you know you look at you look at trusting in God and you look at worrying uh, worrying all that. 
It's like your soul is standing there right in between both entities and you have to choose what, are you, what, am, what am I going to do? Am I going to worry or am I going to trust in God? I choose trusting in God because worrying, it takes your hair away, man. It takes your hair away. It... <clears throat> It puts more stones on your soul than, it ha- than there has to be. It just. It ages you. Worrying turns into stress. And stress turns into death. It'll just straight up kill you. So I say trust God and live. That's what I'm going to do. This will pass. All of this will pass. And we all going to come out shining into a brand new reality. A brand new necessary reality. So, <clears throat> what I choose to do is trust God, continue to, trust God, continue to walk into the calling that is on my life. God has made me an artist. God has uh, enabled me the gift of painting a net, painting a world as I see it. Through my words, through my acting. You know what I'm saying, man? Like, a professional actor sent me a script yesterday saying, uh, you're, uh, I want you to understudy for this. Come on, man. I've been writing like a mug. Another professional actor about to do something with a script that, I've, that I wrote. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. So, you know, why worry? What, what what does it do? A little stress keeps you going, but mishandled stress just straight just straight kills you. It will kill you. Like it's it's fatal. So that's why I say, let's trust God and live. So yo, I'm going to continue walking to my calling. The calling, the gift that is on my life. I'm going to give y'all dope theater. I'm going to give y'all dope stories about theater. That being said, my homegirl, Miss Tara Vinson, is back. Tara Whitney. I keep getting her name wrong, Lord. I'm sorry. My homegirl, Miss Tara Whitney Risen, is coming back. She is going to rejoin us here on ADQ's Renaissance. Because last week we had we had a dope, beautiful conversation, but during that conversation, I freestyled and we were pretty much just feeling each other out, getting to know each other, coming from our backgrounds. I want to get to know what is her process for preparing for a role. What is her favorite role? Um, what roles does she want to do? What how does she teach? All of that. I want to learn that. Y'all should learn that. So we're going to learn that on this episode of ADQ's Renaissance. Stay tuned, and we're going to bring the queen up. Y'all have a wonderful... I'll see y'all in a minute. Good morning, my people. It is Wednesday, hump day, February. It ain't no day on February. I'm tripping. April 29th, 2020. It is still the year of clear vision 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to be a special somebody to be invited back to my my podcast, ADQ's Renaissance. You do. You do. And, 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 And within a very short time span, of your inaugural appearance. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Mr. GP, my man Gregory Peoples is a special somebody. That's my brother. You know what I'm saying? Number love for him. Shout out to Dre Trinity also. Usher Boy Squad. What up? This young lady here, <laughs> who, I am, who I have said, whom I have said, you gotta come back. We got so deep into a incredible enlightening conversation last week 
that we didn't even touch the stage, bruh. We talked about <laughs> we talked about Greensboro. I dropped I dropped the freestyle for her. Um, all of that, but we didn't even touch the stage, man. You know what I'm saying? And from the from the interview, you listen to the interview, the incredible interview. You could tell it was two individuals forming a brand new friendship, a brand new feasible, beautiful, viable friendship. And I had to bring it back. I had to bring it back. Just like the Lil Wayne song, bring it back, bring it back. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Pat, <laughs> QQ's Renaissance, Miss Tara Whitney Ryzen. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be back. Really, really glad to be back. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming. You know something I realized about you um, when the interview was over? Well, no, what, last week? Like what you realized about me? Yeah. No, what? Um, so if I was to if I was to um mispronounce your name, I mean no no no. If I was to put your name together, your first and your last name together really fast, it would sound like I'm saying terrorizing. <laughs> terrorizing. Oh, how many times I've heard this growing up. This was like that was actually my nickname growing up. Um they would, well, they would call me a couple of things. They would call me Tasmanian Devil. But when you say my name, yeah, really fast, it's Terrorizer. It sounds like Terrorizing. So they would be like Terrorizing Tasmanian Devil. That's what they would call me when I was little. My, fa- my whole family would call me that. So, so I, I assumed I outgrew that name. But, you know, sometimes it comes back to haunt me. That's all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, so... So Ryzen is not your is not your married name. Uh, is your is your mate? Is your dang? I forgot the name. I forgot how you call it. Your name before you get married. Uh, uh maiden. Your what? My maiden name. Yeah, maiden. I was about to say maintenance. I'm tripping. Yeah, I mean, I haven't changed my name. Tara Whitney Ryzen is just my full name. Um, I haven't changed it to anything. You know that is okay. That is fine. That's cool. Um, when I get married, my wife is taking my dad on last name. But 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 but, <laughs> but before you get on, but before you get on some straight up before you get on some feminist type stuff. Oh God. I feel like you got some feminism up in you. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't use the word feminism. I'm a humanist. Um okay, feminist humanist. is very uh a, a very loaded word. So I don't really say that I'm a feminist. I may I I I may say that I'm a black feminist sometimes, but I honestly just don't even use that word at all. Um, but I do say I'm an activist. I do use that uh, a lot. But um, I just think that there's not a real reason. I think other than ownership, and I'm not saying one person is being like one person thinks that that they own somebody else. But I also think like it doesn't make anybody less of a union just because they don't have the same last name. Um, and I see other points for having it, too. But I, I just think in the in the end, um, having to one, it's obviously very heteronormative to because we're talking about a man and a woman, obviously getting married and then them taking uh, uh, like obviously the woman taking the man's last name has been done for so long. And it's like, why Why was that the case? And a lot of it had to do with power. And it that doesn't really mean anything. Somebody taking somebody else's name doesn't make one person more powerful than the other, but that's the way it was set up. And so it, for a really long time, it's it's just been looked at that way. But I think either way, I mean, it should be a choice. It shouldn't be something someone has to do. Someone shouldn't make someone else do that. So uh, as long as there's choice involved, people can do whatever they want. You know what I mean? Like, I still um, make my husband's plate. 
you know, I mean, not still, like I've been married for like so long, but, you know, make my husband's plate, you know, do that. I do a lot of the cooking. There's still some things that are like, you know, in those traditional or were you like stereotypical roles that maybe a man or a woman would have. None of that stuff is wrong. It just, it just becomes a problem when somebody feels that they have to do it when they have no choice or they're told that that, that is what they're supposed to do. That's where it's a problem. Not that people do it, but when there's no choice involved. So that's, that's where it it becomes at least a problem for me if you mean does that make sense you know what i'm saying that makes perfect sense and i'm gonna make this point then we got then we're going to get to the stage because i have you limit i have you for a very limited amount of time (laughs) we can talk we could talk for a good two hours but you know i want to respect your time you're right so so real quick real quick um my homegirl carmen dees who uh was the hippolyta to my uh, Theseus in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I got to see her kill it singing in uh, Barnum. You know, we were in that together also. Um, this has been her name her entire life. She is married. She's married to a real cool guy uh, named Ray something. I forgot his last name. I'm forgetting a bunch of things today. Forgive me. Um, blame, my, blame my mind, not my heart. Um, but she kept her but she kept, she kept her maiden name, but she is very much married. Cool. That's cool. But I know another guy named Andy, Andy Ralston, Mandy, awesome Mandy, something like that. Um, he and his wife took her maiden name, his name, and hyphened it and kept it like that. And I think that's what I would do. I would take my wife's last name, hyphen with my last name, and we both carry it like that. That's interesting. That's cool. That's what's up. I've, I've seen that. I've seen that happen, too. Um it just, it like, it joins you together, which makes total sense. And I also think it's different for actors though. You know, we as performers, like we have a stage name or we have like an, our actor name. And so whatever's on a piece of paper, that's fine. Because in the future, I mean, I might, I might add it on or hyphenate it. But I mean, as for my work, like that's the name that I go by definitely. And it's just not legally anything different, but my stage name is my, is also my legal name, but you know, never know down the line, it might change. So then again, then again, I don't know if I could do that because that going Adrian Dion Quarles is already a mouthful. Yeah, it is. It is. Be like, please, you want one more? You want another name? Right. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I would have four names, like long names. So I was like, do I want four long names? And I really didn't want to drop Whitney because what happens is a lot of times the woman will drop her middle name or at least traditionally, right? But I was like, Whitney has been like my signature. Like, that's me, Tara, Whitney, right? And it's just like, bam, boom, bomb, bomb. It's like, you can't have one without the other. Like, boom. It's like what Number I show one. as. <laughs> Number one, you cannot drop Whitney. For respect for the queen, you cannot drop Whitney. And if you do drop Whitney, it'll go, you'll go, you'll, you'll be terrorizing forever. I know, I know. What is that? I can't do that. I can't. I'm setting myself nope. up. No, can't do it. Nope. Okay. Now, now that we've established the fact that we are keeping our stage names forever and ever and ever. <laughs> well, I, well, I wanted to talk to you about last week and didn't get to, and I want to talk to you about right now. And this is for all of my fellow actors who are like getting into the game, who, are try- who have been in the game for a long time and like trying to matriculate their way around the stage, be like, you know, I've been doing this for this long time, but I might want to just shake things up a little bit. Awesome. I asked this question to my man, Adrian E. Canham. I've asked this question to my man, Josh Anderson, Michaela Knox, all the actors who I've had on this podcast so far. And I ask you, Miss Tara, what is your process in preparing for a role? Mm, so, I mean, I love this question, but it also, it varies. It changes because depending on what the project is, I might approach it differently because um, everything is different. I think there are some things that I do all the time, which is um, just read it, read it, read it. However many times I feel like it's just in my bones and I know the story and really just start to dig out what I need, what is like really like speaking to me because I think in class a lot, because, you know, I also like to, I mean, teach acting, I'm a coach, you know, 
but I've, I've also worked for a lot of institutions where I feel like I've had to like conform to what they're doing and not really just like share my, my process and share with like young upcoming actors, um, different things they can do because their process is going to change as well. So what's like, what's awesome. It's like mine, it switches up. It varies. I really like to dig into, um, what this person, how this person functions in this world of like the play, or if it's like a television script or, you know, whatever it may be. I just, I approach it always with like reading and reading and digging and digging about what I can find. And then, and not necessarily um, throwing out the rest, but ultimately, you know, all this character development where all the stuff that you can write down. I mean, you can write pages and pages of character development work. And I tell that to young actors all the time. You can write a bunch of stuff on paper about, you know, what your character is, who they are, where they grew up and all that. But eventually like that, that stuff goes out the window because that's already the given circumstances. You want to know what you were going to latch onto. You want to dig into what you were going to latch onto and what's going to resonate with you throughout this entire story, which is the core and the essence of, of how this person operates and how it's truthful for you. And another actor that picked up the same script, they're going to do it differently because what's truthful, truthful for them is different from what's truthful to you or I, or, you know, anybody else. So that's definitely part one is digging and digging and finding some things. I'm, um, I'm actually getting certified in the Sanford Meisner technique. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh, the Meisner technique. See, let me tell you something about the Meisner technique. I have experienced the Meisner technique. The Meisner technique is like the most tedious technique out there. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like it it, it it prepares you. What it does is it helps you and the person who you are sharing the stage with sync with each other. Hmm. That's a good way to put it. So that yeah, it gets you in sync with each other so that you can all be on one accord um, when when the play is going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it makes total sense. I, I was, I, I did part one. I, I went and um, worked with this school, this acting uh, school under, that was created by Larry Silverberg. I don't know if you've heard of that name, heard of him, uh, but he, he like, operates everywhere and so I did the first part of the certification actually in 2018 and we were supposed to do it last year and it was actually going to be out of the country possibly but um, he had so much going on and we ended up having to push it to this year and it's actually supposed to be in July when I finished the certification but it's really up in the air because of you know the Rona so we don't know if that's still happening I really want it to because I really want it to do the second part of it um, because it's just been really influential in all of my work because it helps me show up and be, I hate the word present because it feels like cliche to always say that, but it's just about um, being available. That's like a better phrase, being like completely available. And we think that we are because we, we say it like that's like being present, being available, being compelling. Those are all like fun, floaty words that I hear actors say. But it's like there's there's only a core amount of people that are really doing that, like a core amount of like percentage, I should, I should say, of actors that are doing that. And so a lot of that work, it's grounded, like my process is grounded in the Meisner technique. But that isn't to say that I don't do other things. I feel like there's this little stigma around what you're trained in. If you're like trained under the Lee Strasberg technique or this, and none of it, it doesn't really matter. Like what works for you is great. I just know that I'm really about in being like an activist and also being an actor, a lot of those things. And this is what we talked about last week is they coexist for me. So being safe on stage is really important to me and making sure that how I teach other actors is in a safe way because I've been, taught by some unsafe teachers like really unsafe teachers that were really narcissistic and they just they were overindulgent and they were not safe and I that's not how I work that's not how I operate so um the fact that I had this great teacher that really was just it was like gently 
and like gent- a gentle push into like moving you further in your work. And like that describes who, you know, Larry Silverberg is, which has been really awesome. So between that grounded in like the Meisner technique work and then all of my training through like grad school and um, a lot of like checkoff stuff and also just being like a brown actor, like there's so many things that are intertwined in that that really make up how I how truthful I can be in a performance. And that's with any genre, comedy and drama or or even Shakespeare, any of that stuff. It just it doesn't matter because your technique is the same. You can use different tools, but your technique should always be your technique. It doesn't matter what medium it is. Even with television, I'm still gonna do the same thing. It, like people are like, I hear a lot of young actors say that they um they try to be smaller on screen because it's more this or more. It's like, well, you should be truthful in, in everything. It doesn't matter. Like nothing is about being bigger or smaller. You might have to change your attention, like your circle of attention uh, d- differently, but your technique is just your technique. Like you don't have to change what you do because it's a different medium. So, you know, I always try to encourage like, you know, actors in their process to like really think about what works for you. You don't have to change or conform. You might have to adjust, but you don't have to change what you do uh, to fit, you know, whatever you're doing. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Well, I, I, I feel you 100%. So, um, so me personally, I um, enjoy, and I'm going to ask for your advice on, on, on something real quick. Okay. But first, I'm going to take this. I enjoy the Uta Hagen method where pretty much she has you, uh, like you spoke to, give the character, give your character a background, um, give your character a biography and whatnot, and then see, and then establish how those, how that biography um, fits into the given circumstances that has taken place prior to the scene, prior to the scene of which the actor um, is in. You know what I'm saying? So, I like, yeah, oh, I yeah. like that because of, I, did I like that well. method. Yeah. Yeah, so I like that method because it helps the actor get ready. It helps the actor, you know, get completely into character. Mm. You know, it helps the character find the, I mean, it helps the actor find the character 100%. Also, also, I like the Sanslowski method of I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Adrian learning, uh, reciting lines that I memorized. I'm, uh, I'm going to give you one of my dream roles. I'm Gabe. I'm, uh, I'm Gabe. Um, I was in the war and my brain ain't functioning completely, but in my mind, I've been hanging, I've been up in heaven, hanging out with St. Peter, looking at the book of life and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's cool. That's what's up. That's really what's up. So, so uh, those are the methods that those are the methods that I like to try. And, and it's, like, it's crazy. well, okay. The other, like, the other part of that is Stanislavski, like, created um, the system. Like, it's the Stanislavski system is like the system that we all go by, like, character development and and all of that different stuff. Um, so all of these other people, like even Meisner, even Lee Strasberg, even Uta Hagen, um, even Chekhov, they're all pulling from the Stanislavski technique because he, cre- like Stanislavski created that. So we have to give homage to like that. So all these different things that, you know, all these books from these, you know, different like acting teachers and all that, it's pulled from Stanislavski. So when people say that, it's like, I use this technique. I, it's like, but it all comes from Stanislavski. So you know, it's all just a, like a different, um, everyone sort of di- went a different route with it, but it's all pulled from that. So I'm kind of like, when people are like, oh, I do this, that, I'm like, well, we're all doing it, really. It just depends on where, where, again, like that, where we're paying, what we're paying attention to and how we're actually doing it, how we go about it. Because it's all really trying to reach the same thing um, and which is really great, but the different methods are just how these acting teachers are going about getting to that same place. So that's, I mean, that's cool, but I mean, we still have to kind of 
you know, Stanislavski was like the ish, like he was that dude because he was the one that created uh, the system. You know what I'm saying? Right. I do. So another question. Uh, this is an advisory question that I would like to ask um, from you, uh, from uh, to you since you're a teacher, mm-hmm. right? So this young, so this young brother came to me. He was introduced to me by my man Fahim Hanna, and um, he wants to be an actor. So he's seventeen, and he told me that he wants to be an actor. He also told me that he wants to write and he wants to rap. What I said to him is, first thing first, choose the one that you want to do. Choose the one that you want to do the absolute most and focus on that first, right? Yeah. He also he also sent me some videos. He also sent me some videos where he was like performing scenes that he that he wrote, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, yo, that's cool stuff, but but I'm gonna send but what I did because I feel like I have acting teacher in my future, but I'm not there right now. So what I did was I told I sent him some videos of a Hagen class um, of people talking about the Sanslavski method and stuff. I sent him that. I sent him some scripts and told him to read those. I told I sent him fences and I told him to read and study the Corey part and then um, see and memorize it. And send me a mon and send me a video of him doing a monologue, a, a Corey monologue, since Corey is his is in his age range. Right. Is that the right thing to do, or is there more I could be doing? I, I mean, I, I, I don't think not anything is wrong about that. There's nothing wrong. I mean, because you he wanted feedback from you. Is that what you're saying? Well, pretty much. He just wants to. He just want to know how he could get into the game, and I told him. Oh. That I told him that um, once this whole Corona crap that I'm completely sick of uh, is over, um, I'll see. I'll see if I could. I'll see if I could uh, send him to auditions or whatever. But I told him that if you want to be an actor, this is what you need to do during this downtime. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I. I would recommend anyone who's like just trying to get into acting, I would just start reading a ton, read plays, research, you know, story. I mean, research plays um, and talk with other people who are doing it and get, I would say get involved in like your local, there's always a local community theater or there's an art center. I mean, I, I'd like to say that, but I think in a lot of places, there's a lot of local community theater, maybe not professional theater in every single city, but there is a lot of local local community stuff, art stuff going on. Take a class, you know, research some like classes that you can get into. There's a lot of virtual stuff going on. So, so many people could, you know, probably be doing a lot of stuff for free, actually, like acting classes and things like that. And uh, I would just start, get an acting book, start, you know, start reading that. And you're right. Just start playing around with stories. I mean, he could write his own. Uh, he could look at other people doing, doing stuff. Um, watching movies is really, and watching other people act is actually really great. It's just a really great tool. Um, I almost like, I write off my Netflix <laughs> like as an actor at the end of the year, because I'm like, it's it's a tool. Like I'm looking at these people, these other actors that are doing this professionally. I'm looking at how they work, and I'm looking at their work. So, I mean, yeah, all that is like fine. Just you just kind of have to start somewhere. You got to just read and like kind of throw yourself into um, learning. Because like with anything that we don't know, we just we have to learn about it, and that requires like reading and some research and some networking even with other people who are already doing it all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean that's great you i mean how did you get started i would just ask yourself that how did you start you just did right oh right exactly this is why i did this this is how i got started 
Uh, you and you're going to hear this first on ADQ's oh, Renaissance. Okay. Here's how I got started. What I did was number one, my mom made me made me be in the church play when I was eleven against my against my will. I didn't want to do it, but I ended up doing it. It was I was one of the three wise men in a Christmas play. The the lady who was playing Mary was telling me was feeding me my lines during the performance. That's how much I didn't want to do it. Wow. But <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, it's so funny. But a year later, a year later, I was still I was like 12 and I did like a thing, I did like a Easter monologue in church. One of the church mothers shouted me out, mm-hmm. right? This is but that was an aha moment. Here was another aha moment. Uh in high school, I was in a production of Damn Yankees, right? At the end of the first show, I wasn't uh I was like one of the ensemble, right? At the end of the first show, my U.S. history teacher, Mr. Jones, I hated this man. I hated him with a passion. And I know he hated me back, right? But guess what he did at the end of the first show? He was in it, too. Guess what, what? he did? He put his arm around me and said to me, ADQ, I think you might have found your niche. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Wait, why did you hate him, Cause he always called me out in class. I wanted to throw something at him every day. <laughs> Why did he call you out in class? Probably mad me because I quit the football team. I don't know. <laughs> oh my but, god! But then after, but then after that, six years passed by. I'm not giving a full fledged biography of me. Uh, this is your time. I'm just saying this is how I got started. I was just and I was just ended right here. Um, 2005. I see the uh I see the trailer for Rent. And that reminded me of how much I love theater. <laughs> that put me right back in how much I love love theater. And so I'm like, okay, I want to get back in the theater, right? I meet Bill Cobbs, he tells me, stay in the theater. Not Bill Cosby, Bill Cobbs. Old dude killed Wesley Sines at the end of New Jack City. Cobbs. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, Bill Cobbs. Look him up. That, uh, that's for everybody. He's done Man, look me right in my eye and said, stay in the theater. I find the theater a year, about a, a year or so later, I am in Susico. I'm doing an ensemble again. I'm in Susico. I love it. I want to keep doing it. I find an active class with Amy Deleuze. And I've been doing theater consistently ever since September 2008. Awesome. That's amazing. Oh, I know Amy. That's cool. I love Amy Deleuze, man. Every time I see her, every time I see her, it's big hugs, and I'm always trying to tell her, I'm always trying to uh, tell her, I know she's a busy woman, but I'm always telling her what am I doing, what awesome things I'm trying to do. In fact, if I could ever get her on this particular podcast, she will be my monthly. She will be my monthly non-black interview whenever I get on. If I could ever get her on the That's podcast, really cool. Yeah, I think. Wait, is she? Um, she did. What am I thinking? Is she the one that owns Paper Lantern Theater Company? Okay, yep, cool. She her. was in. Um, we did a Christmas Carol together. Wait, no, that wasn't Amy. Yep, that wasn't Amy. Just kidding. kidding. I'm thinking of Beth. Beth Ritson. Oh. Yeah, she works for Paper Lantern as well. Yeah. I think they own it together. Don't they own it together? Maybe. No, Amy. I know Amy owns it with other okay. people. Yeah, Beth Ritson worked at uh, Bennett College, and she was also involved with Paper Lantern. And she did a lot of does a lot of shows at Try and Stage, but she did um, a Christmas Carol with me with the. Uh, she took over after Cassandra. Do you know Cassandra? Higgins? Wiggins? Um, do you know Cassandra? You gotta know Cassandra. You don't. don't! Okay. Nope. Uh, Cassandra... I'm sorry, Cassandra Lowe Williams. You, If you see her face, you might know her because she lives in Greensboro She's worked a ton in Winston-Salem. Um, she works with Black Rep a lot. She's like just all, like a lot of the colleges. She's an education 
coordinator at the International Civil Rights Center and Museum. She's an actor. She's worked at Triad Stage a ton. If you were around when they did Trouble in Mind, if you remember that show a while back, and she's just been in a lot of stuff with them. So definitely, if she don't know her, like she's definitely someone to know. Well, sure, I had to look her up and introduce myself. You know, I have a habit of doing doing that. Uh, you would know sure that. Sure do. Know <laughs> it very So, so, um, so, tell me this. Tell me this. I know that um, within. I know that in my theatrical journey, I have done roles that I'm not proud of. That I don't even. That I pretend like I never did. And I have roles that I've done that I am so proud of myself for. Like, I am so proud of a Raising the Sun, being an guy. People thought that I was legitimately from Africa. That was legitimately from awesome. West Africa. That's a good role. That's a really good um, role. Yeah, I love that role. I'm proud of I'm proud of how I was able to make tons of kids laugh in King Midas. As King Midas, I'm proud of how I put all of my phobias of singing in front of people to the side and kilt it in working. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that I have been in two. Do you know how hard it is to get into a daggone college show? How hard it is to get into a college show? You mean if you don't go to the college? No, I'm saying how hard it is to get into a college show. That is part of the college because there's so many people gunning for an opportunity to be in a college show. Does that make sense? Yeah. You mean the students there, like the acting students there, all want to be in it or all want to be the same role? No, the acting students all who want to be in it. And I'm talking about as a student. I've went through this as Oh, a yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, especially that's what I mean is like, I think people especially if people want to be the same role. I mean, I went to Central. I went to North Carolina Central University uh, in, for undergrad. And so that, I mean, auditions were big because it was open to everyone. People outside of the school that weren't students, they could, they could uh, audition students in the music department, just anywhere, all through the school. Like it was just open. They were open auditions. So they were, you, you were choosing people like from, not just the theater department, but like outside too. So, you know, we were up against, I mean, it was a true yeah. casting call all the time. That's what I appreciate is like, we were always, you just never knew uh, because you just had to go out for yeah. a role. That's it. Yeah. And it magnified how difficult it is to get cast. I've been in two college shows. Um, 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 Godspell over at Guilford College and uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory over at UNCG. Awesome. So, please tell us what are your most proud performances, and um, what are what do you want to what what are your what are like your dream roles? I'll tell my dream roles later. Mm. What are your oh, dream you mean roles? like professionally? Um, my professional um, like my proud professional show Anything. or educational show? Oh, okay. Anything. Huh, Anything. Huh, 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 huh. Well. So I actually just finished a show and I'm really proud. I wouldn't say just, it feels like that, but I didn't. <laughs> it was back in November. That was my last show before the, um, well, my last full uh, production. I did a touring show, but um, so last, the end of last year, I did a show with Cape Fear Regional Theater. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, in Fayetteville, yeah. North Carolina. And we did a show called No Childs. Um, by Nalaja's son and she actually came to see it and it was just it was amazing it was awesome and that was it was definitely it was a, definitely an ensemble piece um she did it as a one-woman show it's written as a one-woman show but after she did it in New York like for years and years and pe so many people saw it she played 17 different people she wrote it and performed in it and she played 17 different people. And after that, you know, she was like, I think this is meant for more than one person. So when people were doing it, it was definitely like three to eight up to like 
eight people or something like that. But some of the roles aren't that big that like, it just makes sense that people would double. So our cast was a cast of five and I played Nalaja. I played her character in the play and it was like, it was awesome. I think you saw a clip of it. Um, maybe that I either I yeah, you were huh? going in. I yeah, said, yeah, it was, going it, in. Was, it was a it was it was a great piece. It just it told a relevant story. Those are the stories that I want to tell, and it was just it felt really. I was just really proud to do uh, that kind of work, and it was just an all. Um, not I can't, not an all black cast, but every cast member was a person of color, and it was talking about um, a lot of like Latinx and Latino and black and brown, you know, black and brown folks. Um, and it was set in the Bronx in New York in early 2000 is when we had said it, which was great um, before, before right now. And it was just, we were really, really adamant that we tell these stories of these characters as real people. Like they're not caricatures of people. These are real people. Like some of these people in the show were my cousins. Some of these people are like my family members, you know, they grew up with a different life than several of us had, but we also, so that we also wanted to take care of those characters. And um, in the end, I, I think that's what happened. At least that's how the cast and the director really wanted to approach it. And um, it's just really, that was really exciting. We had a really great cast, um, several people, local, and then several people that came from one of my good friends, Andrea, she came from LA, my other friend, Brandon, he came from Chicago and um, myself and my other good friend, who's a writer and director and producer. Um, her name is Monet Marshall. If you don't know her, definitely should know her. She's another awesome person. She creates a ton, just wrote a couple new plays. And um, she was in it as well. She's from Durham. And we just like did it. She went to A&T and another local person in Fayetteville. And we were just a close cast. You know, when you have a close cast and you're just trying to tell the story and, you know, you got each other's backs and that's how this cast was. And so I'm really appreciative of that and appreciative of the story that uh, Nalaja's son wrote. So um, that role was challenging. I mean, it, I played two different people. I, everybody else played more characters than me, but my character was so heavy throughout the story that it, it like leveled out in a way. I mean, I was in every scene and it was like a big load. It was a, lo a big, big load. Um, but it was great because you just followed the arc of my character in the story. And, you know, to be able to play Nalaja was really awesome. And it just, it was, it was, that was a rewarding experience to get to work on a character like that. So that was probably my, my, one of my proudest so far. And um, what's another proud one? Okay. So in college, I played a, another kind of, another like bigger role that I just, these are ones that I'm just remembering well in my mind. Two, actually. So I played Antigone, um, which was awesome. Antigone is such a good play. Oh my gosh, it's such a good play. And it's been redone, I think, a lot, like re revised and rewritten um, in a contemporary contemporary version. So I would love to get to do that again in you know a, a more contemporary version. So Antigone was great. I played Antigone. And then um, I was in Ruined. Do you know that play, Ruined by Lynn Nottage? You I were? was in Ruined last year. I was oh, oh, Mr. Haddaddy. Yes. That's awesome. I played Salima. Yeah. And it was just, it was great. Salima. Salima. You were the huh. cool one. Salima. You were, hold on, hold on, Salima. Yeah, Salima. No, 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 no. That was Josephine. Or is it Josephine? Yeah, Josephine, the mean one. Yeah, Josephine was the one who, who lived. Was on my left for like seventy like percent of the play. Yeah, I played Salima, who uh, had. I mean, it was like given, um, implied that she, you know, she was waiting for her fiance because she was raped. She was taken, kidnapped, and raped, and then she was disowned from her family. 
Um, lots of them were obviously raped and disowned, but her story is that she was like taken into the camps and she was strapped to like confined to a tree for days and days and days. And the men would repeatedly rape Salima. And um, then, she, you know, she escaped. Salima's the one yes. who ruined. Well, no, Sophie, no, 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 no. Was, Sophie huh? was the one who was singing. That's yeah. Cool. And cool. Salima, she ended up committing suicide. I mean, she she was pregnant. And she committed suicide. Um, it's like, you shall not have, you will not use my body anymore. It was like her last line. I remember it was just, a, it was heavy. It's heavy, really, really heavy. Um, but her fiance fortune was like looking for her throughout the play. And he, when he found her, like she had committed suicide because he, it was, you know, her mind, she was unraveling throughout the play. Like most of the play, she was really just on edge all the time. She was unraveling and it, she couldn't bear that weight anymore, which is what happens to a lot of survivors, I, I, I think, um, sadly. So in Salima's story, I would love to get the chance to play her again one day. And that was just, it was heavy. I really I had to like, to dig and I feel like if I got to do it again, oh my gosh, I would just like take it to another level. I hope that's always the hope when you get to do another role or the same role is that you, you know, you take it to a different place. I would like to redo Harari because for one thing, one thing Harari is not even not uh, Harari. The character is not even African. He's Lebanese, mm -hmm. but I played it as an African guy who just lived, who just lived in Lebanon, and you know, just lived life and just uh, made trips to uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo to handle business. Yeah, I mean, but that's what it's about, right? I mean, that that's what that whole play is about. It's like was about the business of men and how that impacted women and how it was it continued to impact women in the Congo because of like the business of these folks, because they were always negatively impacted and like the cost of war um, on them was their, was their bodies and um, a tactic, I should say a tactic of war was like mutilating these women's bodies. And it was just like, it was so real because it wasn't too far when we did it. That was back in like 2000, 10, I guess. So that was actually going on, I think, at the time, or at least a couple years, uh, we were a couple years after. But I mean, it was really relevant. It was present. And Lynn Nottage wrote it around then uh, to just share these stories of these women who have been ruined, as, as they called it. And I know Sophie was, she was raped so badly that she didn't have the ability to, I guess, urinate correctly or at all. I couldn't remember. Oh, it was God. either she couldn't urinate correctly or at all. So, and it was just, she walked with a limp. That was her, I mean, throughout the play, she walked with a limp. And it it was heavy, very heavy piece where, you know, we did it though. I mean, my directors and my teachers, they, they were always ready to tackle heavy stories and, you know, do new things. We also did Serafina, which was awesome. Serafina was great. Don't, yo, Tara, Tara, what? Tara, Tara, Tara. Oh my goodness. See, we're, see, we're coming up on, uh, for, on like 18 seconds before we're past <laughs> your 45, uh, 45 minutes that you a lot, that you allied to us. Um, I'm sorry, but gone. I love Serafina. Don't Serafina get me started on Serafina. That's play. It was it. such great music. We had a great choreographer. I mean, it was it was so much fun. We had so much fun doing that and learning the language and the dial. I mean, it was just great. It was so fun. So, so fun. So, so, um, tell me, so tell mm -hmm. me this real quick. We got to let you go, but obviously there's even more to unpack. Would you be willing to come back for yeah, a third time? Yeah, I'll definitely come back. Definitely. We'll mess around with my co-host. <laughs> what? What'd you say? 
I said, I'm going to mess around and make you my co-host. Co-host? I got to come with it if I'm a co-host. ADQ. I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I'm on your level. <laughs> you're, you, uh, uh, the, she, y'all hear that? She says she don't know if she's on my level. I'm trying to get to your level. Game recognized game. This is facts. This is facts. All right. Uh, we'll have to talk about dream roles next time. So, Yes, we will. And um, and I'll just say real quick, real quick, I like how you mentioned Ruin, Ruin being a heavy piece. I did Ruin right after I did Time, right after I did my play Time, which was a heavy piece in itself. And then I find myself doing Truman Capote's Holiday Memories, which is a nice, beautiful, touching, touching play that had me crying at the end. That's why I thank God that I was crewing and extra in and um, my friend Jackie Harris Sanders' play. Um, um, but that's another story because that was just a straight-up fallout comedy. And we're going to talk about dramas versus comedies versus musicals next time. So, Tara, you will give me a time. You will give me a time when you can uh, rejoin us again. And we're going right. to rock it again, Sounds all right? good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And any last words that you have for... Uh, for the uh, vi- no, for I would say just audience. keep thriving, keep striving, keep building your dreams. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. You know, empower yourself because you may not have people to empower you. So, you know, your doubt is the only thing that's going to keep you from doing what you want and how you want to live. So, I just say, you know, up, continue to uplift yourself and affirm yourself in whatever you want to do. And I'll be right here, and we'll see you at the top. Beautiful stuff. Well, thank you very much, Terry. Greatly appreciate you. Bye.